If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. Tonight is a unique night because it's the first ever roundtable discussion. Uh, it's been about two weeks since the recall election. I figure it gave people enough time to kind of calm their emotions a little bit and kind of let the dust settle on the results and all that. And really talk about like where we're going from here, because I've said before, there's a lot to look forward to in 2022, and there's still a lot of work to be done. You know, the recall wasn't successful. Um, and I'll get started with introductions. So uh, you've seen Brian with me before. We've chatted a lot. He's running for Congress in the 45th District against Katie Porter. So looking forward to getting his commentary on like races and where that's going uh, in 2022. And then also joining for the first time is Cynthia. How do you pronounce your last name, Cynthia? It's Cowie. Cowie. Okay. I think I butchered it on my life, so I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, she's involved in the California School Choice Foundation. You've been a content creator for, what was it, Latinos for? America First. America First. Uh, also involved in a whole bunch of different campaigns, basically a political activist down here in San Diego. Uh, so we're just going to chat a little bit about what happened first with the recall. What are the numbers that we saw? Uh, Brian did an incredible job keeping me informed throughout the entire election, even early voting and all that stuff. I think you kind of saw the writing on the wall, Brian. I did that first. We had, we had predictions. Um, and my predictions were way wrong, but I saw it unraveling before our eyes, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah, you you had been sending me a lot of stuff, and you kind of said that they got out to a big lead like right away. Um, and it, it the more you sent me, the more I was starting to get a little dismayed about like what was going to happen with the recall because it wasn't looking good in Orange County right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was going to be. Well, firstly, thanks for having me, and um, I know that uh, me and, and Cynthia have uh, have been on Instagram as well. So nice to meet you virtually. Um, I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was. I mean, they're still counting. I don't know where the exact, I don't know if you have a number on where they're at now, but the yes to no breakdown. I thought I was getting closer to a 40, 60. Um, but according to, uh, Cal matters, which updated their information as of six thirty tonight, it was still 51.7%. No, in orange okay. County with one point. One, three, four million. Uh, yeah, I was talking statewide. So yeah, Cal Orange County is a major disappointment. Yeah. You know, besides, I will say in my district, which I, I, you know, for better or for worse, I take credit for because we did a lot of work. We spent a lot of money. It was the first time that we turned out more Republicans than Democrats since 2016, which was the last election that we won um, in that district. So we did a lot of work in the mailbox, going door to door, uh, you know, on the phone trying to get people out. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. we saw all the writing on the wall for orange County with the in-person voting and everybody has their own theory statewide, why the recall failed. And I, I talked about it in a post on my Instagram. And I know me and you have discussed it a little bit. We discussed it a little bit the night of on my live uh, with mm -hmm. a few other people. Um, we all went through the traumatizing event <laughs> together of how bad it was right when we got the first results. But 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, our voters didn't show up to vote for the most part. You know, my district's maybe an outlier where we actually, you know, out- outperformed past elections, um, with the exception of maybe the Latino vote, which is now gearing more towards being conservative or voting conservative, not only nationwide, but even in California, slowly it's it's starting to, to go to the right. So there are good signs. Um, my district, competitive seat next year, we got to take back. Uh, Latinos starting to consider conservatives more. Uh, that'll, you know, I think if we continue on that trend, the state might actually be competitive you know, albeit in 15 to 20 years, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be very good. Maybe a swing state by then if we keep continue on that track. Um, but yeah, a disappointing night for us, but some things to learn, I think. Yeah. And so the number you asked about statewide is it's 62%, 62.1. No, out of 12.6 million votes cast so far. Um, Yeah. And the final total for I know you the guy you endorsed, Larry Elder, was forty eight point three percent, and he got three point five per three point five million votes. Okay. Um, I don't remember what John Cox's total was in twenty eighteen, if it was more than that, but that's a pretty okay. fair showing for a guy who entered the race pretty quickly. Um, so Cynthia, you you were doing some work. You're doing some work with Latinos for America First, uh, and Brian just brought up a, a point about how Hispanics are starting to trend more conservative in California. Do you see that as like a trend that's going to continue in California, or like is that a demographic that Republicans and, and GOP really should be going after? Um, but what what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So Latinos for America First, um, it's an organization that's nationwide. So we have, you know, different coalitions. Um, I'm one of the two members that are in California and a lot of organizations based in Texas. Um, and then we have some coalitions in Florida. Um, I'll be honest, it's focused more on like some national levels and those coalitions, you know, they have their own state initiatives. Um, but as a general, like as far as like the conservative apparatus on, you know, demographics really focus on, you know, in particular in California, if I'm not mistaken, um, it's 51 or 52 percent Hispanic. And I'm in no way saying that we shouldn't be as far as like a strategy for us as conservatives and Republicans that Hispanics are the only people we should be targeting. But I do think it's an area of opportunity, you know, as a whole, because if we're speaking in particular for California politics, um, I think that's a bigger opportunity. And I think, you know, that is something, you know, to be considered as far as like that voter turnout and, you know, how Hispanics viewed Newsom, you know, in contrast to, you know, his original gubernatorial race. Do you think any of the candidates did a really good job reaching out to the Latino vote? And that's a question to both of you, if you want to chime in. I, I think. To, oh, sorry. You can go ahead. Sorry. Um, I think when it comes to critiquing candidates overall, like I think, um, you know, it should be like a nuanced approach. It should be for all of them. Um, I was to full disclosure, um, I was a recall signature gatherer and I was involved in all the phases as far as promoting the first question a lot, emphasizing that a lot more. And then um, obviously as a signature gatherer, I had a vested interest in who is governor. And for me, I voted Kevin Kiley for question two and I was part of his campaign. Um, So, you know, I was behind the scenes for that. Um, I think, you know, definitely as far as the critique, there could have been more, you know, approaches to that. Um, I'll be honest, 
his approach was more of like a gas grassroots. So there was a lot of different forums and areas of opportunity for him to meet voters as a whole. There was never really huge emphasis on the coalitions of who is who. Um, so, you know, as far as like a marketing approach on targeting Hispanics, um, I don't think there was a concentrated effort on that. Um, I could say, you know, openly for that. Um, as far as overall, like the other candidates, I didn't necessarily see it um, just you know, on the eyes looking in. So that's just my perspective. Okay. I was going to say, I, I put it out in my post today, which was like what I thought should be the five steps forward, you know, as, as conservatives. And um, we were at a period of time in the late 2000s, early 2010s. I was in college at the time, but, you know, me and a lot of the, the other college Republicans were thinking of ways where the party could, rebuild itself then I, I called it a rebuild then it truly is a rebuild now like um you know after after the recall result and you know what's transpired really since 2013 especially in orange county we lost half our seats we grabbed two back um in the u.s house uh two years or i guess what technically last november almost a year ago but uh that was because of a, a 12 million dollar <clears throat> uh spending spree in each race in DC, that really wasn't because of what we did here in California. Uh, and they, a lot of people think that was because of identity politics, young Kim and Michelle Steele, although they didn't really mention their identity. So I think one thing that I heard from a lot of people, um, in the recalls, like people, they said, Latinos will never vote for Larry Elder because he's black and like some crazy things that Latinos won't vote for black people, which I think is just absurd. And these are people that were really involved with some of the campaigns. And we have to get outside this thought process of like, you have to have a Latino run for a Latino to vote uh, for that candidate. I mean, Donald Trump has said some pretty crazy stuff. I think we all can agree. And he he won the Latino vote down in Miami-Dade, right? So mm -hmm. this thought process, you know, while identity can be a benefit, if you, you know, if you at least bring it out in your story, but, you know, we're seeing, you know, candidates um, in 2022 literally just say, their race vote for me like that that's mm -hmm. their selling point is their race and i th i thought we had that in the recall a little bit too much with some of the candidates um they didn't outwardly always say it. some of them did but some of the people working for them said that person will never win because of their race they have to be a latino a latino will get the latino vote it's like this is not how it ever works um it's about what mm -hmm. you stand for in your message uh look at hillary clinton you know it's not like she got like an absurd amount of female votes as a as a female candidate for president, um, look at Harris. She's not exactly popular in California, and she checks off some of the census checkboxes that the left wants. So I thought um, if you look at Larry's output in terms of how many voters he brought to the table in a short period of time, eight weeks of campaigning, he did have a broad coalition of voters, and he never talked about his race unless it was the LA Times making you know ridiculous claims that he was the black face of white supremacy. He would talk, he would be able to ring off statistics, you know, for certain populations, which he could obviously go to those communities, I think in a general election and maybe win, you know, maybe a little bit more percentage wise of those groups uh, by actually taking his story of growing up, you know, growing up in South Central. That's his story. Once again, it's not his identity necessarily. It's part of his story, his background. Um, he's much more than that. He's a successful person. So that's my concern going forward. Have we learned? Because back in you know the early 2010s, I don't mean to, to rattle on about this. Like we literally doubled down on identity politics. We all these seats where you had 10 to 20 percent Asian populations, but like 80 percent white or 
you know, or in some, even in some, in some black districts, you had Asian candidates because we really tried to shove that down everybody's throat that you should just vote for someone based on what they look like. And now we're kind of dealing with the ramifications of it, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a side note to everyone who is tuning in. We will be taking some questions. Uh, so I see all you people talking in the chat. Uh, we'll be taking questions a little bit later. Was there any was there any big surprise outside of like, I think for me personally, the margin of which the recall failed um, was the biggest shocker to me. Was there anything that you saw, like whether, whether it was like county wise or or I don't know, anything that jumped out at you about the recall that you were like, wow, that was not what I was expecting. So whoever wants to jump in. I, before we move on to that, I just wanted to elaborate and, you know, definitely add on to Brian's point as well as far as identity politics, um, since we're going there, um, the purity test, um, you know, for, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's along more of like the race point, but I've definitely have seen a lot of different, you know, illustrations as far as what an ideal perfect candidate would be. One in particular being like they had to be married and have children and, yeah. you know, and my whole thing is, you know, along with identity politics, who is to say that the perfect ideal politician is supposed to be a family person? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so if we're talking about coalitions, you know, what we are seeking in our politicians, where do we go after the recall? You know, I think we should be open minded to people that are in different seasons of life. You know, if we want fresh ideas and if we are welcoming people from different age demographics, they might be in a season of life where they're not married or don't have children. And you have no idea why they don't have children. So, you know, I just wanted to, you know, kind of add on to Brian's point as far as like playing on the identities politics, you know, aside from race, it's also, you know, the different age brackets and where they are in life as well. Um, as far as like surprises, to be honest, like, again, as a recall person, like I was the type of person where, you know, I'm going to lay I'm going to be all hands on deck. I'm going to see where the chips fall at the election night. So naturally, like I'm not going to see ground or have a defeatist attitude until the election night. But I was very well aware that, you know, this was going to be an uphill battle. I was aware that we were outspent. Um, and I was aware that, you know, we obviously, as Republicans, we had to turn out. But in addition to that, we had to make sure that we were reaching out and had a concentrated effort on those non-party preferences. and. The Democrats. Um, I know there were a lot of Democrats in support of the recall. Um, now that being said, you know I was a little bit surprised though, um, just about the Republican turnout. And I knew that you know if the recall did fail, I know a big part of it would have been the Republican turnout. So I would say, you know, my initial reaction, I definitely was disappointed as far as the margin. I thought it should have been closer, at least in the fifty percent, not in the sixties, as far as the no question. Yeah, I was thinking it was definitely going to be, I think, you know, Brian and I had that live a couple of weeks before and I said like one of my predictions, which I guess I didn't realize the rules of the game. One of the predictions was that it was going to fail by 5%, but it was going to galvanize enough people to believe, wow, it's pretty close. And like, you know, noodles is, is in danger because there's that many people who don't like him but the fact that it got blown out of the water by so much i think only emboldened him a little bit more um rather than humbled him someone had asked me that do you think it humbled him and i said i I think it probably emboldened him and i think you're seeing that with the way he's signing all these laws that were sitting on his desk like radical gun control laws and handing over your information and just 
Um, he's going on a signing spree right now. Uh, what about you, Brian? What was the surprise you saw uh, in the I, recall results? I want not a prediction, but a possibility and put it out there that if we go back to this, you know, whenever, and you guys can tell me I'm, no one really told me I was wrong about any of my predictions, thankfully. But uh, Newsom might have to appoint somebody to that U.S. Senate seat. If I, people are saying Feinstein's not going to make it to 24. That's what I'm mm-hmm. hearing. Um, and I would not be surprised if he appoints himself. I don't know constitutionally what that would do in California. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he's got a, a lieutenant governor that he could brag about her being ready. So, you know, I don't think the Democrats like him too much. Believe it or not, they voted for him because they were scared of Republicans. Uh, so just put that on your radar. In terms of surprises, I uh, I was surprised by the margin, but not incredibly surprised. I had seen the turnout. I was more surprised by the reaction on our side. Mm-hmm. The, the Democrats were quiet about the victory. They went on, went, went on about their life. No one really said anything. They're like, okay, our job's done. But almost immediately... It was just fraud, fraud, fraud. And it was from a lot of the candidates that had run, which to me tells me that they didn't have any idea what they were getting themselves into, which I already knew, but like they didn't even calculate the numbers and like understand that this thing could have blown up this bad if if we didn't turn out our voters. And they a lot of those candidates, admittedly, they kind of like hurt our uh, turnout by telling people to only vote in person with certain types of ink and all these stupid things that like, we got to, like, I don't care how people vote. If they had to vote on papyrus or whatever <laughs> whatever method they have, like, I, c- I could give a crap. So I was surprised by that. I was surprised by how much people started thinking about 2022, considering we just got punched in the face by, at the time, it was 30% deficit. I guess it's going to be closer to 20. Uh, I, I think I said that night, no one in the top 10 has any business running. I don't think really anybody should run. Uh, Elder... You can maybe make an argument for if he has more time. Faulkner, you could maybe make an argument for if he runs as like a, a moderate and if he doesn't do any damage to people like me down the ticket. But other than that, like um, I always say after a loss, a tough loss like that with a lot of these candidates that didn't even get, you know, half a percent of the vote, like they should go and go on vacation like Larry did. Larry went on vacation. He's kind of clearing his head. Like if you got like totally you know, run over and the results, you should probably take a break before you decide to start campaigning again. But we've seen some of these people already start and I, I don't get it. I really don't. But that's what I'm surprised by. Like the cra- the crazy claims already of fraud, even though there was not enough proof to flip 3 million votes at the time. And mm-hmm. then how quickly some of these people, how poorly they reacted that ran and how they're already thinking about putting themselves through this again after getting annihilated. Yeah, I think, uh, it, it, you know, to touch upon your, your uh, what you said about the fraud issue, and I talked about this yesterday on Coffee in California Politics, um, I personally can't stand the fraud or that he cheated excuse because you could say that there was fraud because every election has, I don't know, someone fills out a ballot that they're not supposed to or something happened. I mean... To say there's no fraud is factually inaccurate, but to say there was so much fraud that that's how Newsom won was because he cheated. I I don't buy that. The numbers just aren't in our favor. 
And that was the bottom line is that they they knew how many people and, and that's something we have to get better at is understand that politics is a numbers game. And Brian, you're very good at this. You understand that there's a certain amount of votes out there that you're trying to get and you can statistically analyze, well, if I get this many here and I get this many here, I win the election. And I mean, that's that's how they call races. That's how they know this stuff happens before. And everyone's like, well, how did they call it so early? Well, because they know how many votes are left and they know how many people they got. Um, so I can think I, that there's... Can I jump on that for a second? Yeah, go ahead. I was talking to a donor this week and she was she had taken time to volunteer and she was and i agree with what you're saying about you know calling races we've talked about this because there's such a big deficit but some of those people were still in line when they called it or they were still counting and they didn't appreciate mm. the way the media you know was so quick to do it i get both sides of that a little bit more now because mm. there've been people that were right there counting like why are we you know why are we counting if you're already calling it kind of like an attitude i totally get kind of both sides although i think the people arguing about that they think there's still a chance somehow miraculously that you'd come up with those ballots um, yeah. so anyways i just want to interject with that I, I have seen a more credible argument for not calling races so quickly um, yeah i i understand that but i think anybody who says and i know this probably won't go over this will go over like a fart in church an audit of, of the election is not going to do anything. Like, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. You can run an audit of the, the recall election. It's not going to change the outcome. It's not like all of a sudden they're going to say, oh, actually, he lost by two million votes and that's that's it. Um, so, you know, that's that's my personal feeling about it. I know people push back on it and they they don't like when I say stuff like that. But I, I just think we got to get better at politics um, overall when it comes to what's going on here in California, maybe that's a good segue into like, we need to get better at politics and what we're doing in 2022. So looking ahead, Brian, you put out a post uh, about what you think in the five points. Um, and Cynthia, we've talked about stuff about what, you know, maybe party platform propositions, what we can touch upon all that. So whoever wants to jump in first, um, Cynthia, we haven't heard from you, so let's jump in with you first about what your your thoughts are moving forward. Sure. So before we pivot to that, um, as far as the A word, the audit, um, you know, I do want to mm. reiterate, um, even though they're still counting votes, the election, you know, hasn't October 22nd get certified. Um, I do because I do see some comments there and some questions about that. So I did want to address it. Um, even if with the amount of votes still up to count, it will not change the results. Um, Newsom will still be governor. So, you know, it wouldn't matter about that. So I do want to, you know, answer, you know, some comments on that. Um, and then, you know, before pivoting as well, like as far as, you know, vote election integrity, um, I think it would kind of be great to end this part of the conversation on a positive note. So on Twitter, um, I do have my username on there and it's the pin tweet that I have. And my pinned tweet is, I don't know who needs to hear this, but until we flip six assembly seats and two California Senate seats, we are not going to be changing the election laws. Um, instead of clutching our invisible pearls, we should be donating and volunteering for the 22 campaigns. Um, so, you know, as far as, you know, 
that is concerned, like nothing can really be done about election integrity or things of that nature until we start flipping seats. And I think having that platform and, you know, moving forward and what we could do for 2022, you know, is a great opportunity for that. Um, as far as different propositions, and I think what's been proven, you know, for this recall and kind of emphasizing, you know, Brian's recent Instagram post, um, I believe it was like the third or the second one. Um, one of the points that he covers is basically it's an area of opportunity where we can see how these kind of statewide elections is a very, very far stretch for us. Um, but we do have areas of opportunity with ballot initiatives. And I think that this recall, and I think even before 2020, um, I think our politicians statewide and localwide have kind of proven that they're not willing to really do anything as far as things that's going to actually help us and what's important for California voters. And so one beautiful opportunity, what's great and unique to California and what isn't unique for a lot of states in the country is the opportunity to put different ballot initiatives um, so the one that, you know, I'll speak very openly about, I'm a volunteer for the California School Choice Foundation. Um, we recently rebranded to be called the Californians for School Choice, uh, just because, you know, for donation purposes, that's, you know, our pack for that. Um, and that initiative in particular is going to be tackling one of the number one issues that I think has garnered a lot of different support, you know, after the events of 2020, and it's school choice. Um, so what that specific ballot initiative um, focuses on creating an education savings account uh, for every child in California. Um, and this would be, you know, great for all students from different walks of life. And it's also we don't discriminate based off of income. Um, we don't discriminate based off of which form of education you want to be. It's going to benefit each child, you know, regardless of which education route we can take. Um, if you go on YouTube for Recall Gavin, uh, they do weekly town halls. They're going to be uh, rebranding themselves as Re Rebuild California. This was the organization uh, by Mike Netter and Orrin Heatley. They were the main proponents of the recall. Um, they're going to be spearheading a lot of different other ballot initiatives along, you know, with, you know, school choice initiative. And there is one, if you go to their YouTube and watch their town hall that they had last night, there is a water, a water initiative to kind of you know, target that specific one. So yes, it's great for our culture, but that would also tackle like the housing issue as well, um, because water plays an issue on like housing as well. So I think, you know, that's one area of opportunity for us moving forward in 2020 is focusing on those, our statewide and our local wide elections, along with these ballot initiatives that's unique to California. Yeah, one thing um, going back to 2020, no right 2020 with the propositions i'm like what year is it and that's what happens with covid you just have no idea what year it is anymore uh going back to 2020 with all the propositions it was very interesting and this is a, a big silver lining for me is a lot of propositions the vote results fell pretty conservatively when you looked at them it was kind of shocking to see like a blue state like California voted against taxes, it voted against like more regulations and more bureaucracy. So that's sort of a weird thing to me is that the voters, when they're proposed with like conservative solutions, approve them when they're a proposition or vote down stuff that that is not conservative. But when it comes to like Republicans or Democrats, they're just like, oh, I'm going to vote for the Democrat and put them in the legislature 
and they'll end up passing more more rules, more regulation, more bureaucracy, more taxes and all that stuff. So I always I always find that interesting is seeing how the propositions will fall. Um, and there was, a, there was a proposition also on affirmative action as well, which also is a silver lining in that maybe Californians aren't into identity politics as much as we make it out to be as well. So I, I do agree with that. Yeah. Uh, school choice, I think, is definitely going to be big, especially with COVID. I think it's it's like the ripe time for school choice to be on the ballot. And I think you're going to see a lot of parents probably get into a, a ballot initiative like this. So that one's definitely one I'm going to keep my eye on, especially with the the grip the, the teachers union has here in California. Uh, so, Brian, flipping the question over to you, I what was the, I forgot what the question was. Looking forward into 2022. Um, nice some, <laughs> I mean, besides you have your campaign coming up in 2022, you haven't stopped working. Um, so what, what are you seeing in your campaign uh, in your district? And then maybe anything else that you, you're seeing in 2022 that you want to talk about? Um, well, I think you guys mentioned a few things that already that I, I think I can piggyback on. I think talking about how propositions are are more digestible for California voters mm-hmm. is important. But I also think the same thing would happen with candidates if you had good candidates. Uh, if you look statewide and like if you had to say like, okay, what's a good elected official? Um you might be kind of scratching your head for a while. I started looking at some of the materials that I put it up on the, the post that Mike Garcia put out there. Uh, you know, he, he, like I said, you have to learn from the Trump era. People don't want career politicians, but they also want like a new conservative message. And I thought that he was like a, a, his messaging. And I think some of the stuff I do as well on my campaign, um, like kind of like talk about, you know, the Reagan Republicanism that we all probably more fall line in lines with. But kind of putting like a new twist on it, that's important. That's more uh, appealing to California voters. It also makes it harder for the left to kind of paint you as this crazy white supremacist Nazi, um, make America great again flag, you know, all over the place, crazy guy, even though I, you know, I don't agree with all that. Um, so if, if I could jump in, what is a Reagan Republican, because I feel like it's been 35, 40 years since Reagan has been president. Um, what what would you call a Reagan Republican at this point? Because it's probably been changed and modified by everybody in the past 35, 40 years. Well, I mean, I think if you look, I'll kind of give my last debate that I had against my Republican opponents an example here in a second. But it's that it's that recognition that government is the problem governments in the way we would all be better off if the government it's more like a libertarian view almost like when you think back like the way that reagan spoke it was like he spoke like a like a modern day libertarian but Mm. also very i would say at the time maybe not as private like publicly he's very socially conservative as well so you know the one good thing about being conservative is that you do have a wide spectrum of voters we have the libertarians we have the tea party republicans we have the um you know, the Trump Republicans, you even have like the Romney, unfortunately, to some people, Republicans, where you don't know if they're always consistent on their values. Um, but how that compares back to my my race is we had a debate recently and Mike Netter was moderating. There was four four of us candidates out there and he acted, I, I'm, I'm, I would consider Mike a friend, uh, me, me and him talk, but he, some of the candidates I don't think were 
had uh, communicated with the, with him very much, but he gets really fired up if you guys mm-hmm. ever heard him speak. Yeah. So this is going to be a tough question, Brian. I'm going to go to you, and he's pointing. He's like, how are you going to bring more money to UCI or to your district in general? And I said, I'm not. That's not my job. You're not electing me to go to D.C. and spend more money. We're going to spend ourselves into oblivion while all the other candidates said, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring more money back to the district. Like, no, that's not what you're voting for me for. Like, that kind of thinking. Like, yeah, if there's something small that I can bring back to my district as part of a bill and, mm-hmm. and that's going to already be spent anyways, yeah, maybe I'll advocate for it. But I'm not going there just to spend money nilly-willy. That's the Reagan approach. The we don't have to spend the money. The government is the problem. The government keeps on overextending itself. So I think COVID was a really good example of that. And it is now like, look at the government overextend itself, trying to make all these mandates when it's as simple as like, you know, just let people live their lives. And we've caused a lot of unnecessary fear. Um, so anyways, that that's, you know, the way that propositions are um, utilized candidates can market themselves in ways that are similarly appealing to, you know, the 75% of the electorate. And uh, in my district, I think I'll be able to do that really effectively. You know, most people, and you mentioned it with how people don't want to raise their own taxes. Like California is still fairly conservative. uh, Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why a lot of Democrats are even moving out because they don't want like, like a lot of celebrity Democrats are moving out because they don't want to pay the taxes. So it's, it's reality. Like we're all, we all don't want to pay taxes. So instead of avoiding that reality, we should just really highlight it. Like the government is the problem and freedom is the answer. So how do you, you take that message, make it a message that applies in 2021. And it's no secret that you're, you're kind of just rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. If you're going to the same districts over and over again, trying to scrape up votes. Like, oh, if we just keep going back to the central, and this is a critique I always had of John Cox when he ran 2018. He got the nomination, and then he just, well, he he won the primary to run, and he just ran off to the Central Valley, and you never saw him again because he's like, oh, I'm just going to collect votes in the Central Valley. How do you get that that message? One, how do you change that message to make it more 2021 applicable? And two, how do you start to chip away in cities like LA or San Francisco or I mean, San Diego is still pretty purple. So there's still a good chance that you can make some ground here in San Diego. Um, well, I would say, I mean, like I said, you have to learn from the Trump era. So they don't like career politicians. You need, you know, just talk about like, you know, how people feel in their everyday. You know, I talk about how I relate to people in their everyday struggles. I live below the poverty line. So I know what it's like. You, California has factory workers, they have agricultural workers, they have police officers that are being alienated. Uh, We have teachers that don't even feel comfortable um, with some of the stuff that's going on. Uh, Talking about your movement, like how I do, you know, representing everybody, a working class movement Mm -hmm. and saying the government is the problem, we're going to get the government. That is, that's bringing kind of Trumpism into Reaganism, in my opinion. Uh, You know, John Cox, I don't want to really use him as an example for anything, especially after the bear. Um, but even statewide races, like there's a lot, like I like Eric early. He's a really good candidate, I think, but these races aren't really where our focus needs to be. They need to be on local races, state races, and the federal races we can, we can pull back. So I don't want to use John Cox as an example for anything except what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. He's a good example of what not to do. Go ahead, Cynthia. I think, I think, you know, kind of, 
you know, in align with Brian's points as well. Um, obviously, for him as a congressional candidate, um, his specific policy proposals are going to be really unique to his potential constituents and those, you know, in, that live in his district. And then, you know, the same could say for those that are running, potentially running for state assembly, your, your policies and things that are important to your potential constituents are going to be unique as well. Um, I think overall, though, like statewide and even local-wide, like as far as possibilities to reach across party lines or things that I think uh, impact everyone from all walks of life is really hammering on kitchen table issues that are really unique that impact all Californians. So if I had to make like a bullet point list on like the top five things that I think impact all Californians that at least would pique people's interest and have people care. Um, number one, I would in no particular order. Um, one is school choice. One is the environment. And when I say environment, I mean like water, fires, agriculture. Mm. Third is homelessness. Fourth is public safety. So rising crime. And the fifth would be the high cost of living. So taxes, university. So I think like, you know, as far as like what to look for for 2022, but I think anyone that's running for office, like those five things are are probably the things that everyone sh really should be focusing on. I uh, yeah. I was gonna I forgot to say it when I was giving my spiel about John Cox. Um, the uh, oh, are you guys frozen? You guys aren't frozen. Okay, you guys were just not moving. I thought you were frozen for a second when I looked up. Twenty twenty two will be decided, or there will be two issues that are at the forefront. Uh, school choice is obviously kind of intertwined in this, but it'll be critical race theory. Everyone's going to talk about it. Um, I think you're going to find some Republicans that have softer stances. And we talked about purity tests, but I do think critical race theory is something you do need to have a purity test on. Mm -hmm. um, and if we kind of waver on that, and I, I can already see it coming. I see it in people in multiple races um, and, and some of these candidates, you know, how they plan to run their race down the middle. And they think that means being open to critical race theory. I think most people in the middle don't want that taught to their children. So that's not the way to go. And then this whole, um, you know, you'll see Republicans and Democrats, they'll package, uh, you know, with law enforcement, they'll try to say police reform, police reform, police reform. You'll have people that try to run down the middle and say that they support police reform, um, which I think is not a, uh, electable position in most districts, but mm -hmm. it definitely isn't going to help you in a Republican primary because uh, you're in a position where you're supposed to support law enforcement. And every time Nancy Pelosi talks about anything with the police, it's police reform, which usually she has members that want to defund the police or reallocate resources to mm -hmm. social workers or whatever, which I'm actually not against having more um, you know, people that are specialized in say like homelessness that might have a social work background, but I don't want it to go at the detriment of, uh, you know, the need for more police officers. And critical yeah, think, race theory. I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to touch upon the point of like the the critical race theory in schools, and maybe this is something Republicans just need to get better at um, learning how to pivot and, and take those points and, and I brought this up like you can't argue with a Democrat in their critical race theory frame you have to almost pivot the entire argument and say like if you're going to talk about critical race theory in school a, a, a Republican candidate um, and this is free advice Brian if you ever use it 
I won't charge you for it, is um, just pivot from critical race theory in a school and say, well, instead of talking about critical race theory, and let's talk about the real racial injustice of public schools and how school choice can help solve those racial inequalities and how it benefits more inner city children, more minority uh, children in, in inner cities. And it's been a, you know, like Republicans have to get better at switching the whole argument to points that are more on their side. And I, I don't think Republicans across the nation outside of Trump really did a good job of that, of framing the argument, how they want to frame it. That, that I, helps. I agree with you. And I'll, I'll, I'll just have a quick comment on that is that most people, uh, they don't know what critical race theory is until it's already in the classroom. So I agree with your your pivot that you're saying. You're, you're talking about how school choice solves the problem of inequities. But mm -hmm. the other problem is that uh, most people don't know until it's too late. So the left is going to try that critical race theory is just talking about our history in general and we don't talk about it already, which that's not what it is. Critical race theory is saying everything is institutionalized racism. Every system is racist. And that's... You know, you even have some people on the left that are pushing back on this now. There's a really good uh, interview with Bill Maher um, and Ben Shapiro and another individual where they're arguing about critical race theory where, where Ben Shapiro and Bill Maher end up being on the same team. It's a really crazy interview, so I encourage you to watch it. Bill Maher has been all over the place. And it's funny you bring up how like institutional racism when school choice can actually break down the institutional racism of public schooling. And Cynthia, I mean, I, I'm just kind of going off the little bit that I've read. Can you like back up anything you know about how school choice does help inner city children and, and all that and um, how that could be used as a beneficial argument in 2022? No, absolutely. And to kind of hammer on that point, as far as CRT, um, and my this is just my personal private opinion, I think it's too generous of a term. I think it's cultural and social Marxism. I think CRT is really too mm. generous. But that but that's me, you know, loving politics. And I agree as far as like how that can well, now it's your public about. opinion, because <laughs> yeah, now it's a public opinion. Now it's a public. It's not really private anymore. But yeah. At, but as far as, you know, facing at least for school choice, uh, we are for California is 49th in the state as far as educational outcomes. You know, most people, most uh, children in high schools, they don't read and understand math at their grade levels. Um, so I think, you know, that to me, that's discrimination across, you know, all party lines and all race lines. Um I have a study open on one of my tabs, but I have so many tabs open in my laptop. But, you know, as far as educational savings accounts, um, there is a recent article by the California Policy Center. And the majority of minorities, when I say minorities like blacks and Hispanics, they support educational uh, savings accounts. And I believe um, I might have the percentages mixed up. But I believe 54% of Hispanics support it. I think 71% uh, Blacks support it. So, like, when we're talking about, like, discrimination, I don't know what you're talking about because majority of minorities actually support school choice across. And this is specific and unique to California as well. Yeah. That's going to so put think... the Democrats in a tight position as we get, you know, you might, it might take a couple of elections to see how it actually plays out, but I think it'll put them in a tough position between the, the unions 
and their voters. Um, you know, we're not going to see it play out next year's election, but well, maybe we will. But I don't think statewide. I think you'll see it in the, the smaller races, but eventually it'll catch up statewide because um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a top issue. Probably the top issue for most voters is education. I think next year. And I also want to note too that uh, Governor Newsom, I think he might have signed it, but I know for sure it passed the Assembly and the Senate, and I don't know if Newsom has signed it just yet, if he vetoed it or not, but I do know that potentially in law, there is going to be a critical race theory required, or ethnic studies is going to be required, you know, for all public schools in California. So whoever is running for office, you know, they definitely, you know, I'm not sure, you know, within the parameters of their job description, what they can or cannot do. But I do think it is has to be a pivotal issue that every candidate, whether it's assembly, whether it's for Congress or even local wide, that has to be addressed because that is going to be something that's in law technically coming up next year. Mm -hmm. So Cynthia, you had listed like five things specific to California, which I think are five great things to talk about in California. And this is my personal public opinion um, is that I I just don't think like Republicans talk enough about solutions to specific California problems. And if you're ever going to win like a state assembly seat or a state Senate seat, I don't think they frame their argument or, or frame their platform well enough to get to voters and say, here's the positives of voting for me, as opposed to I'm just not a Democrat. So um, do you see that as like something that, especially on the local level, um, you know, Brian's running for Congress uh, 3000 miles away, but on the local level, do you think they need to do a better job of pushing and, and making that argument for the local, local issues? 100%. And I think it has to be, imperative that they do so. And the reason I say that is because of my background is in grassroots activism, um, in particular um, in Southern California, but I know I can speak openly for San Diego. Um, it San Diego is like, it's a, it is a purple, it's a battleground county. So that being said, you know, when I go to these different activism events, um, you never know who you're surrounded by. Um, I've never openly asked who people voted for when I stood out and gouged fingers for the recall and, you know, for school choice. It's never a topic at all who they voted for. Um, as long as they are in support of the cause that I'm in support of, that is all that matters to me. I'm not interested in shaming people like what they thought of before, if they changed their mind or not. Um, so that being said, when it comes to these key issues, um, I think that definitely has to be, you know, at the forefront in contrast to someone's party lines, because you don't, first of all, you don't want to create an assumption. And then second of all, you could potentially lose out on someone that is in a position now that is more open-minded to not consider party lines and actually focus at the issue. And I think we saw that with the recall itself um, for Kevin Kiley's campaign, um, when there was any kind of educational um, town halls. Um, I was always a part of it because school choice is my number one political cause that I will die in the hill for. And I had the opportunity to be on these Zoom calls. And um, one of the questions that one of the panelists asked, like, hey, Kevin, um, you know, this call, this is full of Democrats. And, you know, so they're considering going for Republican for the first time. What would be your pitch to them? Um, so that being said, I think it is a pivotal time where, you know, I think if anyone is considering local office instead of focusing on party lines um, to focus on those issues that, you know, are 
important, you know, to the community itself. And, and if I had to pick like a, you know, bullet point, it would be those five points. Brian, any thoughts? Well, we keep on thinking about local office and it's just making me think about when I was putting out some of that stuff. Um, I kind of am sidetracked by seeing that also Major Williams is copying Rihanna's uh, T-shirt. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Democrats are really good right now statewide and in local races at really um, preparing candidates for their first run. And the Republican Party is awful. They are killing candidates' chances in their first run because they've, they're still trying to help the people that have been there forever. Um, and that have done a lot of damage to our chances to win. So, you know, I ran for Congress in 2020 and I learned a lot. Um, and you oftentimes have to take a couple punches before you know what the heck you're doing in any mm-hmm. profession um, or anything, especially politics where you're, you know, being thrown out there in front of people. Um, so when we're talking about local candidates, we have to kind of think about you know, you're talking about, hey, maybe reaching out to independence, I think is what Cynthia was kind of alluding to um, with some of the messaging. We have to think about how we really help these candidates in their first time uh, running because they don't get the help of the party. And mm-hmm. uh, someone made a comment in the comment section, we need to pick one Republican and get behind that one. And I, I'm just so tired of hearing that now. I was one of them during the recall because I was really worried that like somebody like Pathrath would have a chance. But um, it doesn't matter unless we had question one. And, and in a lot of these primaries, we need to pick the, the right candidate and the voters can only pick that. So, you know, that people are trying to get groups like the OCGOP and I'm sure there'll be a movement, whether it be in my race or other races of trying to get an establishment character, or a, a DC funded candidate or a Sacramento funded candidate through um, while we have primaries and there's no reason to do it. You have a primary respect the will of the voters. So, um, you know, that, that anyways, that's just a sidebar of where my thought process has been just, you know, school board, local races, um, looking at the disaster that happened in Huntington Beach um, and looking at some of these other cities as well. Um, I think we have to have, you know, that we could have a whole podcast, three hour conversation about how do we help younger or younger, not maybe necessarily, usually they're younger candidates, a lot of, these, a lot of people I see, but newer candidates, I guess is the better term because they're not always younger. How do we mm-hmm. help them? Because it's hard to put your yourself in the headspace of running until you see like results, like even in the recall, like we all thought it was going to be different, but how do we get better at guessing what we have to do to help some of these people their first time running or the people that necessarily don't want to run? Maybe they want to be activists or they want to help in other ways. How do we get them in? positions to help like we don't have conversations about that we have like big broader conversations about bears with john cox and you know major williams stealing logos and t-shirts logos. yeah which is stuff that gets us the views right and it yeah uh, it kind of maybe sometimes more interesting for us to talk about but it's not always maybe the most productive you know when i you know i'm assuming i'm fortunate enough to serve i almost said when i don't want to sound too confident and cocky here. Uh, if I'm fortunate to serve, I'd like to help a lot of the candidates that are trying to run for city council. And as a, as a candidate running for Congress, you can pivot from a primary into a general and really help with that. Um, yeah. You're in a unique position, but you know, that's obviously 
seven, eight months down the road right now from where you can even start thinking about that. We have, but I think having conversations about that, and I, I think you'll probably have more people running for local and state office on your show over mm-hmm. the next year, if I had to guess. Um, I think maybe yeah, that's... thinking about that more of like, how do you get to that threshold of how many votes they need or just getting their message out in a way that's captivating? Yeah, I think that's that's always often overlooked is um, just your representatives in state assembly or state senate. And I would venture to guess a lot of people didn't even know the names of their county supervisors before COVID happened. Um, but now you have people who can rattle off all five or six of them right away and be like, I know everyone. And I know what their party affiliation is. And I know how they vote. Um And I get a lot of people who reach out to me uh, on Instagram and messages and they say, well, how can I get involved? What should I run for? And I always try and tell them, like, start small. You know, if this is your first time in politics, like start small, you know, run for school board, run for something that you can get your feet wet. You know, don't try and go for the Hail Mary and be like, well, I need to run for governor. Um, School board position is just as important as anything else, as we're starting to see now with all the different uh, votes on on what's going on in schools and requirements for students and teachers. I'm not going to say the word because we're on YouTube. Um, But yeah, those are those are real issues that I and I know I want to focus on it going into 2022 on this platform is focus on highlighting a lot of those local politicians who are running and like, how do you get involved and how do you get there? Um, So. Two more things, and then I want to open it up to comments and questions. I'll let you guys think about this second question. The second question I'm going to ask is, are there any races that you're looking forward to or interested in? Uh, Brian, this would include not your race specifically. Um, any (laughs) Any other race besides your own. So think about that one. Um, And I was just looking at some of the propositions that were submitted and some that are going to be that were cleared already for signature. Um, And I thought some of them were pretty interesting. So I'm just going to list off some of them. Uh, Prohibit slavery and involuntary servitude is one uh, that has to do with like prison uh, inmates because they usually try and make them clean up highways and stuff like that. Uh, Education savings account initiative, which we've talked about. Um, prohibit public sector unions initiative, electronic signatures for initiative for referendum, legalized sports betting seems to be really popular. And I can understand why, cause it's all over changes to police unions, qualified immunity, excessive force laws, water supply infrastructure. Cynthia, I think you brought that up. Uh, some other tax assessment and local zoning stuff that doesn't sound super exciting. Voter ID is on a prop as a proposition. It's been submitted by Carl DeMaio. I did not know that until it's literally. Got, these, these all printed. have the signatures. Is that what you're saying? They are. They so the ones that I just listed off have been filed with the attorney general. Um, and there's the only one that's been cleared for signature gathering is prohibit slavery and voluntary servitude. Um. And the only ones that are on the ballot right now are legalized sports betting on American Indian lands, uh, canceled. That's not politically correct. Uh, Changes to medical malpractice lawsuits, plastic waste reduction regulations initiative, and then flavored tobacco products ban referendum are the only 
ones that are on the ballot right now. So that's a lot. Um, and I, 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 if I had to put my money on it, maybe half of them will actually get the signatures if we're lucky. Mm. That would be a high number, even. Uh, the voter ID law one, do you have wording on that? Is there any? Yeah, let's see. Um, also, they ju- this just happened like two days ago. Uh, add medical rights to state constitution, prohibit fluoridation, and provide vaccine exemptions initiative. So that's on there as well. But let's look at voter identification. Um, the ballot measure would require voters to present valid and current driver's license or government issued identification card to vote in person. To vote by mail, the voters would be required to provide a valid and current driver's license or government issued ID and have their signature match the signature on file with the voter registration. How would they even a, do that? Um, so there's full text. I'm pulling it up, but so we're gonna send in pictures of our IDs. And this is the kind of thing that you know I yeah. don't trust the mail in general. <laughs> like there's just so many. I guess it's better than the system we got, but so you know. there you go. Voter identification is on the ballot for everyone who. Well, it's on uh, the ballot. You know, it's on the. It's on the list. Uh, hopefully, on the ballot. Yeah the the reform Carl DeMaio group. I mean reform California. Um. All right. Any other ones that catch your eye? Legalized sports betting sounds like fun. Um, I like putting a couple bucks on a football game here and there. Uh, who doesn't? And uh, yeah, anything catch your eye? Anybody? Well, I'm all in for my own proposition because that's going to be my focus for six months as soon as you know we get the approval. Um, so it's so I don't I think it might have been you know the other school choice. Uh, proposition uh, the one for that i'm personally advocating for it's california for school choice and the the bill is educational freedom act so i don't know i know that the secretary of state has a de- language deadline october 12th so um you know i'm not sure if that was on that list that you shared i know i just recognized the other one but you know that's kind of that's going to be my focus personally for that um yeah. i think but i think yeah all the other ones sounded good i didn't know about the voter id one um, so that's great to hear. Um, I know there, there's going to be a water one coming up as well. Yeah, I think they're going to propose the name change on the school choice to why do you hate poor public school teachers and want to take their jobs act? <laughs> totally think, not serious. I think for um, the voter, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to see how they're actually going to conduct it. Anything is better than what we got now, but. Having, if we were to have a system where you had to like verify your voter by, vote by mail status every two to four years or however we wrote it, I would actually even be okay with that because then, you know, maybe you have to send something back, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, you know, when you have to log into your bank and it asks for a text message to get in, like maybe that's yeah. how it should be in order to vote by mail. Like, hey, you got something in the mail, you want to vote by mail, send this back, otherwise you have to vote in person. Um, yeah. I don't know about sending. I, I don't know. I, I, I obviously he could get in some. The, the measure could get in some trouble if it's too vague about how you even how do you show your ID or however if you're voting by mail. I'm uh, a little a little curious about that. You had asked about some of the races. If you want me to jump in with some that I'm interested in. Um, yeah, go ahead. The Virginia governor's race. Not that it's California related, but I think that's going to have potentially some impact. Some people are thinking that Republicans 
can actually somehow pull that one out, mm-hmm. uh, that would be kind of that would be an indicator that all these other seats are in play across mm-hmm. the country and in California. Um, it would probably solidify my seat as like a real, real like conservative seat. You'd have like people starting to throw in more money, um, even if it's close, because like Virginia's thought is like a lost cause to some people. Um, and then if you look at Orange County, some of these Orange County races, I think these two supervisor races we have with Foley's seat, um, she's the Democrat that took Michelle Steele's seat uh, with that special election in January. That'll be interesting to watch. And then you'll have uh, Lisa Bartlett, who's termed out. And that'll also be interesting to watch because there's going to be kind of an internal battle within the Republican Party to see who who they try to pick in that. Not only that race, maybe even my race, which I don't expect to necessarily always get them on board, even in this, because they don't like that I tell it like it is. So <laughs> um, it'll be interesting in that and in the assembly races. Um, it's going and our party, you know, in Orange County, I think it has like a 50% endorsement success rate. So it's not, you know, some, it's oftentimes kiss of death in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really bad rate, um, of success, especially when it's in a lot of local races that are winnable. Um, in terms of bigger races, other than that, I, I can't think of any, um, besides that Petrie Norris, I think it's what 74th assembly district. Uh, it was a winnable race in 2020 and it, and it should have been won and it wasn't. Um, but I'm trying to think of any other races statewide. There's, there's nothing statewide. It'll be interesting to see how somebody like, uh, Eric early can do. It'll be interesting to see how, how these candidates that ran in the recall navigate their political futures. Mm-hmm. It'll say a lot about their character and their judgment, how they go about that. Honestly, um, you know, like someone like Kylie, I would be totally okay if he decided to run again. But I don't know if it really makes sense for him because it's not a winning battle, and I don't think he's really looking for. I think he jumped into this partially because he knew he had a turnout with the voters that really liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Larry Elder does. I think Elder might end up doing this again, which I didn't think. And uh, I think we're going to see like a, once again, I talked about like in my little races, but if it's like Faulkner and Elder and all the stuff we've been reading, it could be a messy primary, um, unfortunately for all of us, because it's more infighting, which is not what we really need. Yeah. Yeah. But real quick before Cynthia, we jump to you and your predict or what you're going to keep an eye on people in the chat. If you want to start posting questions uh, for the group, we'll get to those after our, our, what we're going to be watching for races. So Cynthia, what are you looking for? What races are you going to keep an eye on in 2022 besides Brian's? Yes. So I got involved with the San Diego Republican Party this year. And I think, you know, to kind of emphasize Brian's point on as far as, you know, if there's people watching that are considering running for office. Um, I do recommend you get involved in your local Republican Party because, you know, if you run as a Republican, you're going to need, you know, your local endorsement through their central committee meeting. And I know one thing that they consider for that endorsement is if you've been around the party and if you've been involved and, you know, if you've donated before, you know, those are just little things. So if you're thinking of running for office in 2022, start planting those seeds now. 
um, because, you know, it's not too late now to do that. Um, So that being said, you know, within San Diego, you know, I'm definitely eager to watch, you know, the school board trustee elections, Um, also eager to watch, you know, county board supervisor. I know in San Diego, we have a really big activism community. So we have a lot of watchdogs on, you know, two county supervisors. Um, As far as like, you know, outside of that, um, I'm a casual observer of Texas politics, so just because you know the one of the organizations I'm part of, Latinos for America First, is based in Texas. So um, when when there was um, you know some districts that were flipped red and they had a special election, that was a big deal because my group was a big part of that being grassroots. Um, and you know some of the issues that they had spoken about, you know, were the border, and that ended up that district flipped, you know, Republican for the first time in decades because of that issue alone. Um, and I know my group's really active, you know, making sure they have a new governor. Um, so that's just, you know, my leisure is casually observing that. Um, for California, um, there's two congressional races aside from Brian that I'm interested in and that I am going to be a big part of and volunteering for. One is Tamika Hamilton. She's running for um, the House of Representatives in District 3 in California. And then Richard Bailey, he's running in uh, District 52 in California. Um, outside of that, one other U.S. House of Representatives candidate that I like a lot is Joe Kent. He's running to replace an incumbent named um, J- Jamie Herrera Butler. And, you know, of course, for me, um, one thing that I always emphasize on, regardless of what the recall was, um, our state assembly is way more important than our governor. Um, so I'm definitely going to be, you know, watchdog on, you know, the state assembly seats, which one is flippable, along with our California Senate races as well. Um, I volunteered for a special election for a state assembly um, when when Shirley Weber got appointed for secretary of state. There was a vacancy in District 79. Um, so I volunteered for the lone Republican, um, Marco Contreras. Um, unfortunately, Akila Weber won that election. Um, so being behind the scenes of an election, you know, really piqued my interest more so than activism. So, you know, I'll be very busy, you know, in these next few months in 2022. But I'm really excited for the races coming up and the candidates, including Brian's as well. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you took two of my answers. Uh, Tamika, who ran a really strong race that I don't think uh, they were expecting. And I think she's definitely a competitive district. I think she's got a real good chance to flip that. Uh, Richard Bailey uh, going up against Scott Peters. That'll be an interesting one. Um, see if he's he's running on more of like a, a Cal Republican platform, but we can get into that in another episode. Uh yeah, I, I think state assembly is definitely big here locally. Melanie Burkholder, uh, she had a strong showing last time. Uh, I think she could, she did really well, even though her, I think her opponent outspent her like three to one or something like that. So the fact that she was really close, um, that, that those are right now, those are the races I'm looking at. Uh, I know they're local, uh, specifically to San Diego, but. There's a lot of them, and we're going to talk about a lot of them over 2022 on this podcast. Um, all right, let's get into some questions. Question. I have a quick yeah. uh, comment before we get into questions. I put it in the private chat. I don't know if you guys saw it. Uh, December 27th or sooner, the redistricting maps will come out. Hmm. Uh, that's really important. I think looking 
I think my district, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but it's one to watch because it impacts other districts. If you look at Mike, Mike Garcia's seat, rumor is they're trying to cut out uh, Mike Garcia's seat, which mm. um, because of most of the population loss was in, in LA County. And then my seat's overpopulated. It's like the only seat that's overpopulated. So they have to carve my, my seat's actually going to shrink on the map, which is kind of hard to believe because you think you're losing a seat statewide, but no, like we have Irvine's overpop, like has grown so much. Uh, our, our district's overpopulated. So in order to ensure equality of population, we're going to have to give like young Kim and Michelle Steele, maybe some more of the liberal parts of the district. So mm-hmm. like, it's going to be a really unique, like what if UCI gets like, what if I lose part of UCI, which is more liberal, obviously as a university and uh, how does that impact the election? So keep an eye on those, those two districts. And then also, how they're going to redraw the assembly districts. That'll be interesting to see as well. Yeah, certainly. Um, all right. Any comments or questions I'm looking at right now? Uh, let's see. Someone had asked, can you add on the ballot a finance class for graduating seniors or requirement high schoolers don't understand financial issues? Yeah. I mean, if you want to organize the proposition, you could certainly get basically anything on the ballot. Yeah, I just don't know how that works with um, how local districts handle uh, their end of the curriculum. But that I would mean, also be assuming that you want to enact a law that would be for public schools. And we're trying to get more school choice and get people out of public schools, too. I was talking to someone when I was in D.C. about defunding schools that don't out of that participate in critical race theory mm-hmm. um, since a lot of that's public funding from the federal government. I think that's coming, um, which it's kind of like a weird spot. Of course, as a conservative, you have the federal government stepping in, but also the federal government's already funding this. So it's, it's the federal government allocating its resources based on what the majority opinion would be in the U S house and the U S Senate. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously Biden's not going to sign any of that, but just something to think about. You can really get anything done if you have the numbers, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, someone asked, (laughs) how can we break party loyalty? I'm, I'm wondering, does that mean party loyalty for Democrats or which one specifically, but I'm assuming it means for Democrats. How do you break party loyalty? I mean, so as far as like as a party, um, I think, you know, a big area of opportunity for us is, you know, there are people. So there's people that, you know, there's Republicans, there's no party preference, there's independents, there's libertarians and there's Democrats. Um, But there's also a sea of people that aren't even registered to vote. So as far as, you know, party loyalty, there's those people that don't have any loyalty to anyone. So, you know, I think my opinion, I think those are people that we can specifically like, so plant some seeds in on that as well. Um, as far as, you know, party loyalty and, you know, how to form these coalitions and win elections for Republicans, um, I would emphasize again, focusing on really key specific policies that are unique for your community. Um, if you're in California running on those five bullet points, which are school choice, 
uh, homelessness, the rise of crime, so the public safety, the environment, and um, the high cost of living, because um, that really transcends all party lines and would break party loyalty. Um, that's just my take on that. Okay. With our current approach to politics, we'll never break the Democratic Democratic Party's loyalty in California. We're talking too much about the how to vote and not enough on the why. I don't know mm-hmm. any um, why you would vote for a Republican statewide uh, based on the last recall. I wasn't given a really good reason. I think Elder maybe gave some about school choice, but I don't think his was even strong enough. We didn't get to really see his independent and democratic outreach, which I thought he had some good messaging if he would have actually gotten to that point. But it's hard to do when you have eight weeks and you're just trying to fundraise. So I think we have to get away from the vote by mail versus voting in person versus the Dropbox discussion and get back to the why are you going to vote for a conservative, which gets back to the reason that I was talking about, which is more of like the the Reagan libertarian which is now maybe more of the modern day libertarian approach to government. I think Californians can actually resonate with that message regardless of their party. Okay. Um, well, it looks like that's it for the comments and questions. Uh, we'll finish up letting you both plug where people can reach you or contact you or support you in Brian's case. Um, so uh, ladies first, Cynthia, where can people find you, reach you, contact you, all that stuff? Sure. And I want to thank you, Phil, for inviting me. And Brian, it was really nice to be a part of this panel. I had a really great conversation. I felt like it was very productive. And I think, you know, we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. And I think there's a lot more we could discuss another time. But I thought it was a really great time. So thank you both. Um, so you can look me up on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you just type in my name, it's a really unique name. So I should pop up, but I do have my username on there on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. It's the same, except there's a dot, you know, in between my first and my last name. Um, if you want to learn more about uh, the school choice initiative that I'm going to be helping to spearhead, um, the website is CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. Again, it's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. On that website, it goes into really in-depth about what are initiatives. So if you go on the top of the website, there's a button called Initiative, and you get to read the entire bill in its entire language. We also have an FAQ going over anything about, you know, what specifically the bill is going to cover and things of that nature. And we also do have a list of politicians. We have a wall of fame and a wall of shame of, you know, people, you know, in particular that are for school choice and who aren't. So you can kind of get a, a, a peek at that. Um, Kevin Kiley in particular uh, supports our specific initiative. Um, but other than that, um, you know, that's all I hope. Great. And Brian, where can everybody go to support you and your race for Congress? Uh, well, the campaign website's brianburley.com. Brian with an I, B-U-R-L-E-Y. I always have to spell it because people always think it's with, with a Y. Um, you can follow me on there with our campaign in terms of like uh, official political stances and um, volunteer and contribute however you want to help us. Uh, get a free lawn sign if you're in the district. Um, other than that, it's just Burley for Congress, the number four, Burley for Congress on social media. Um, my social media is more personal stuff unless you're in the district. So like kind of the discussions we're doing here, I don't really get 
or it's about my dog. So if you want to watch me and my dogs, that's what you'll be doing on my personal one. But uh, I, I want to thank you guys for, you know, Phil, it's always great to hop on and have discussions with you. And uh, Cynthia, it's good to, I know we, we messaged before. It's good to, it's, it's not 3D, but it's, I guess it's technically 3D, but not in person 3D. It's via camera. I don't know what that dimension is. I hope I didn't lose any votes for that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, someone had just commented, pets are a big thing. Have a dog or cat in your head. So uh, if you follow Brian, you see both his dogs uh, running along the beach or being overdramatic uh, as they are. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for coming on. We'll definitely have a lot more to talk about in 2022. I think we covered a lot of stuff tonight. We probably could have kept talking for a couple more hours, um, but that we would have been putting everyone to sleep. Um, but... <laughs> Because it's late at night and we're talking about in-depth politics, not because we're boring or you guys are boring. I'm saying that it's it's really deep, heavy it's stuff. Facts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're not talking about like Major Williams gossip, which keeps everyone up and on the edge of their seat. Uh, but yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm sure we'll have more roundtable discussions in 2022 if you guys want to come back and talk more. And as always... Um, you guys know where to find me, California Underground, Coffee and California Politics, every Wednesday at 9 a.m. And the podcast is every Thursday night. So with that said, have a good night, everybody. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Later. for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it, and follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 